0: Good morning again. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church this Easter Sunday. Very good to see all of you. A special greetings as well to our live stream uh, viewers. You are very missed, but we are glad that you're still uh, with us in a way that uh, Jesus most certainly understands and uses as a means for our nourishment as a body. Our passage this morning is from Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. It's in your bulletin, but you're welcome to look it up in the Bible as well. I also want to uh, offer a special welcome to uh, what we at Covenant call our children, which is little theologians. Uh, Jesus seemed to have given a great deal of his time to children, and we want to echo that ministry. And so we have our children with us during Sunday morning worship. Little theologians, as I preach this morning, would you work on a picture for me? I want you to imagine going home and standing on your front porch, and just before anyone turns the doorknob to open the door to the house, someone tells you, mom or dad, everything in this house is new everything. The furniture, the carpet, your toys, everything is new. What would you think about right there on your own porch just before entering a house that your parents says, everything is new? Well, think about that as we look at this passage, Jesus teaching his disciples after his resurrection. Our passage is again from Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Would you please join with me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you for meeting us here, and we thank you for uh, commanding us to gather together as your saints every Lord's Day, to every Lord's Day commemorate the resurrection of our Savior and our King. If there's no resurrection... Well, everything we believe is vain. Thank you, Father, with your sovereign hand for bringing us to this place together this morning. By your Spirit, work your word into our hearts to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Again, Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of our Lord. Imagine these men having watched Jesus die on Friday. He's now with them today. And the today of this passage is actually a little difficult to unravel, but if we go back just a little bit, we know that Jesus, in his glorified body, after his resurrection, was with his disciples on that very Sunday, both in the morning as well as the evening. Here, we don't know what exactly day it is in Acts 1, verse 3. But just imagine what's happening in the minds of the disciples. Jesus is with them. It's as clear as uh, it was before he was dead. Jesus is with them right now. And he's teaching them. And he's offering, offering them incredible reassurances that everything that you have heard... Is true. He is risen. And not only is he offering them an incredible reassurance that everything that he's ever taught them is true, so too is he offering them the profoundest of expectations. The entire future is now different, reinvented as it were. And that's what Jesus is doing, reassurance plus expectation of what's Next. And the reassurance is that Jesus is who he said he was. And the expectation is the very reordering of the entire world. That's what the disciples are experiencing these 40 days. Jesus is assuring them. In fact, in verse 3, the very first two words of verse 3 in the Greek are to them. Jesus, he is with them teaching them. It would seem as though Jesus, after his resurrection, is still not quite done with his disciples. They watched him die on Friday, and now he's revealed himself to them, and he's done so over and over again. What do you think Jesus is doing we have this wonderful picture in uh, Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, where Paul says uh, that Jesus first appeared to Peter and then the 12, and then Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time, many of whom are alive now, says Paul. That would be 25 years after the resurrection. What do you think Jesus is doing teaching so many people? What do you think he's doing here teaching these disciples of his? It's Easter Sunday, and I think one thing that we tend to forget is that uh, Easter is not just a single day event, as if Jesus, He appeared but once, and He appeared but to those closest friends. It's a 40 day period, a long period of time. And Jesus, He appeared to many people. Let's not try and push Easter Sunday into a tiny little compartment. This is an extraordinary event in world history. But still, the question presents itself to us, what was Jesus doing, speaking to these particular people over a period of 40 days? And Luke, in our passage this morning, he focuses on five things. You can recognize them because if you remember anything about high school grammar, you know what a verb is. And just look at verse three and verse four. For the verbs. Who's doing the action? Jesus, he presented himself alive by many proofs. That's Jesus's work, presenting himself. This is Luke's very strongest way to say that Jesus is doing everything that he can to prove his physicality. He presented himself alive. Verse 3, appearing to them during 40 days. And The word for appearing, it's common. He's making himself naturally visible. We get the word optic from this word. Jesus, he's appearing to them over and over again during 40 days. Also in verse 3, he's presented himself. He's appearing to them, but he's also speaking to them, isn't he? He continues teaching, almost picking up right where he left off, talking about the kingdom of God. We have to look more at that a bit later. But keep going. Look at these verbs. He's staying with them. And that word for staying, it could be understood as eating with them. They're very similar in the Greek. He's staying with them. He won't leave them. In fact, he is with them together. And then finally, in verse 4, he is giving them commands. Always Jesus giving them commands. He has ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Do You see how active Jesus is. It's almost that from our perspective, 40 days seems like a very long time, more than generous, but Jesus, he seems to be uh, within these 40 days, cramming as much of his activity as possible. Jesus is feverishly busy these 40 days. Why do you think he is? Why is he so busy? And everything well, it seems to be done. Jesus, you're here. Isn't that enough? And yet Jesus, he's active. And it could be for these reasons. Five active verbs. But think about this. Maybe Jesus presented himself by many proofs because the disciples were very, very skeptical. They had a hard time. Believing that it was really him. And that may very well be why he appeared to them many times over 40 days. Because not only were they skeptical, well, they were resistant to believe him. And he spoke to them over this period of 40 days, uh, likely because they were ignorant. They needed to learn from him. And he stayed with them, eating with them, perhaps because they needed to be reminded that as his disciples, they were a part of a community. This isn't the time to just scatter and go your own way. And he orders them not to depart, perhaps because they needed direction and vision. They needed to understand that there's more skeptical very slow to believe, ignorant, in desperate need of community and in desperate need of direction and vision. I suppose that's none of us today, is it? Forty days, Jesus is with them. And even still, there's, there's this expectation because Jesus says in verse 4, uh, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. There's still something more that they need to expect. You see, they have these wonderful, merciful assurances. But then there's still this expectation about something more. Early in Jesus' public ministry, he was baptized by John the Baptist and the, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And uh, God says aloud for all to hear, this is my son. And then that same Holy Spirit that descended upon him actually led him into the wilderness, hungry and alone, that he might be tested by Satan. And he was in that wilderness for 40 days. Do you remember any of this? And when he returned, he returned in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus understood that this was the Father's plan for him. And now... These disciples who have just been assured by Jesus, now they're swooped up into this very plan of the Father. The promise of the Father, Jesus says, is yet to come. And this 40-day period, not the 40-day period of being tested in the wilderness, but this 40-day period actually marks not the beginning, but the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he's not hungry, and he's not alone. He's with his disciples, isn't he? and he's actually victorious. Satan's testing is done because Satan's rule is undone. Death is no more. The threats of Satan don't work anymore. The twisting of the word won't work anymore because the fleshiness of the word is proven standing before the disciples. And whereas Jesus returned from his temptation to do ministry in the power of the Spirit, that same Spirit will be with the disciples in a similar ministry. Jesus, he preached about the nearness of the kingdom of God, that God has come close, and he secured the benefits of the Father's kingdom with his very own blood. And the world of the disciples is about to get very, very different, because now they will be empowered by the Spirit. To go and do something similar to what Jesus did, to preach that the kingdom of God is here. Their hands on the doorknob, as it were. And the possibilities there, they're simply unimaginable. Sin now is defeated. Death now is defeated. The 40 day resurrected one is here. Everything, everything is different. And it's like the disciples there. Well, the children again. They're going out into this new world with new possibilities. Death is done. Sin is done. And you feel this, yes, this assurance and then this expectation. But there's more because Jesus, he has assured the disciples and then the disciples have this great expectation as they go out into the world. But Jesus' greater intent is not merely to assure the disciples, but to assure the world. Because he's going to send these very individuals to the end of the earth. And the last words of verse 8 of our passage are, To the end of the earth. You see, the disciples are being taught by Jesus, and those 40 days, they seem to be coming to an end. The the disciples, they they don't know that it's just 40 days, but in verse 6, when when they have come together, it, it must feel like them to, well, the day. And what have the disciples learned over these 40 days with Jesus? What have they learned before they come to verse 6 when uh, verse 6 feels as though this is the day of his ascension? What would you learn? You're skeptical, slow to believe, and ignorant, a lever of community, and someone who wanders aimlessly. What would you learn? The disciples seem to have not learned much. What's on their minds, it would seem in verse 6, is the kingdom of Israel. What's on their minds is the restoration of an earthly kingdom. What's on their minds is the punishment of the kingdom that has done them harm. Rome, the religious authorities, they want them done. You know, in their question, is this the time where you will restore the kingdom of Israel? Uh, Calvin says that there are as many errors in that question as there are words in that question. But this is very much the way humans are. We have an enormous ability to make make ourselves the center of our own world. And we spend our entire lives filling our own world with our own decoration, our own ornamentation, our own vision. (laughs) It seems as though we are not too different than these disciples. You know, the promises of God are slippery in this respect. The promises of God, they're unexpected because they tend not to be the promises we make ourselves. We make ourselves promises all the time. If I do this, I'll be fulfilled. If I do this, I'll be happy. But God's promises to someone like that, they're slippery. They're unexpected. In fact, they're well beyond our own imagination. And so when Jesus says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed in his own authority, he's telling them, set your plans aside. They're not as beautiful. He says, but there is a plan that you need to know. And the plan is this, that the power of the Spirit that was upon me will be upon you. And that purpose is the purpose of God, not your purpose. The Holy Spirit is not coming upon you so that you might have all of your own wildest dreams come true, that the entire world will be made in your image and that you'd be the center of it. The power is the Spirit's power and the power of the Spirit is to bring about the purpose of God. Not to restore the kingdom to Israel and certainly not restore your dreams into reality, but to restore God's own children to God. And here it is again, there's this assurance that comes from Jesus reminding them of the truth of the gospel. But there's this great expectation. And I want you to transpose in your mind the expectation of these disciples to right here today. The disciples are promised that they will become witnesses of Jesus. All of the actions of Jesus over these 40 days are to tell them that they are to have but one action in life, and that is to set self aside, to divert attention from themselves and their dreams and their sense of kingdom building to do this one thing, and that's to be a witness to Jesus. Tell everyone. Local fishermen who are sent from Galilee to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the very ends of the earth, are given but one job. Isn't that remarkable? Forty days, Jesus is feverishly busy, and he tells them at the end of those 40 days, you have one job. Tell people about me. Tell people that I am alive. Tell people that I have defeated death. And tell people in such a way that they know that this is your own personal testimony. You are, I am, after all, a witness to a work that was done that I could not do. You know, the word for witness is a word for martyr. That's your one job. And what's the expectation, Christian? There's always an expectation. The expectation of the disciples that something was going to happen after that 40-day period. That the Holy Spirit was going to come and that something would happen. But there was another expectation. An expectation that they would go out into the world and they'd tell people about Jesus. And you know what that expectation was? That people would believe. Your one job as a Christian is to testify to the work of someone else. And your great expectation is that one or two or many of those someone else's will hear your testimony of Jesus Christ and believe. I think right now how many expectations are flowing in your head. If you're here as a Christian, that's a question for you. How many expectations swirling in your head and swirling in your heart Your one job is to testify to Jesus, but that expectation that someone might hear and believe and know for sure that death is dead, that sin is dead, and that the restoration has begun. Welcome to Covenant this morning. Easter Sunday. Would you join me in prayer? Father, your believers love you, but they and we ask that you would strengthen us in the work of Jesus Christ, that our expectation would be that when we go out into the world and show not ourselves but him, others would believe We thank you in his name. Amen.